Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Scripture reading this morning is again going to be Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 23 through 28. If you are using one of the blue Bibles, uh, you will find these verses on page 1008. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. Before we hear the reading of God's Word, let us pray and ask for His blessing. Father, we come before you this morning. We come humbly, acknowledging that your Word is the bread of life, that by it we know you and know life. And so we ask that you would even now work through the reading and the preaching of your Word uh, to bring those who do not know you into the light and to build up those who already know and love you, that they might be more and more established in the faith which they have been taught and might more and more bring forth its fruit in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. This is the very Word of God. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. That is the reading of God's word. In the first part of this letter to the Hebrews, the author labored to show us Jesus, to, to show us Jesus as the great high priest, the, the one who saves his people from their sins. He is not a priest who, who like the priests of old, who, who over and over again offers the blood of bulls and goats, but he is a priest who offers once and for all time his own precious blood, that whosoever believes in him should be saved, should be cleansed of their sins, should be cleansed of all their shame, and should be set free to new life in the Father. This is who Jesus is. And the author longs for us to see him, that we might cling to him. He's writing to the Hebrews because he knows that they are being tempted to drift away from the hope of the gospel that they have believed. Their lives have become difficult. They are beginning to, to face persecution. He, he tells us that they have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, but, but they have already had their property plundered, and some of them have even been thrown into prison. And they are beginning to wonder if it would not be better just to go back to their old ways, to, to go back to Judaism, to, to let go of Christ. For he seems to have brought them nothing but trouble. And so the author wants to remind them again of who Jesus truly is. He wants them to, to see him as the great high priest, the one and the only one who can bring us into the very presence of of God. 
And so he is longing with them to, to remember what they have been taught and to cling to the Savior in whom they have believed because he wants them to endure and to give them of the picture of the endurance that he is calling for. He, he recites a, a litany of Old Testament examples, giving us pictures from, from the lives of these Old Testament saints who long before them walked in the footsteps of faith so that this great cloud of witnesses might encourage them to continue to press on, to, to, to continue forward in the faith that they have believed. So we have been working our way through these examples of faith that we have in Hebrews chapter 11. And this morning we come to a paragraph that gives us four pictures from the life of Moses. We looked at the first of these pictures last week, which is actually a picture of the faith of, of Moses' parents as they hid him from Pharaoh. But this morning we will take up the second of these pictures, the first from the life of Moses proper. A picture that is taken from his life when he was full grown, when he chose no longer to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We, we see it beginning in verse 24. Look with me again uh, at those verses. We read, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. In my own personal experience, this may be one of the more profound pictures in all of Hebrews chapter 11. That little phrase, the, the fleeting pleasures of sin, has, has always been significant to me, has always resonated with my heart. For, for me, I, I have often been profoundly challenged and, and encouraged by the idea that the, that the pleasures of sin are fleeting. The pleasures of sin, while real, do not last. However, as I have dove into this text more this week, I've, I've begun to realize that the way I've understood this phrase, and maybe the way that you have understood this phrase, is not exactly what the author has in mind in these verses. For me, the, the phrase highlights the fact that, that the pleasures of sin often turn bitter quickly. The pleasure of demanding your own way turns bitter because it, it stresses and sometimes even breaks your most intimate relationships. The pleasure of, of boasting quickly turns bitter because it actually lowers rather than raises your esteem in the eyes of others. The pleasure of lust quickly turns bitter because it actually cuts you off from the relationships that your heart desires. Again and again and again, the pleasures of sin turn bitter quickly because sin makes false promises, because the pleasure that it, that it seems to afford is a false hope. And again and again, the, the pleasures of sin turn to dust in our mouths, even as we taste them. 
And that is a profound truth. It's, it's one of the most important lessons that I've had to learn in my own life again and again and again. I've had to, to come to the point of realizing that God's ways truly are best. It's what we confessed in our confession of faith this morning as we recited God's Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments are not given to us as a burden. They are given to us as a map to freedom. They're given to us to, to show us the way that life works. To show us the way that we might actually enter into our Father's joy. True and lasting pleasures are not found on the path of self-will, but on the path of self-denial. It is as we obey our King that we experience life as it is supposed to be. As we saw in our survey of the book of Judges in Sunday school last Sunday, when each man does what is right in his own eyes, it leads not to heaven, but to hell on earth. And this is a profound truth. It is a, a profound truth. It is an important truth. But it's not exactly what the author means here when he speaks of the pleasures of sin. And I think we might misunderstand the choice that Moses had to make if that is in the forefront of our minds. To see what the author is getting at, to see what the author has in mind, we, we need to remember the full picture of Moses' decision not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember last Sunday, we, we saw that, that, Pharaoh, or that Moses was not born into privilege. On the contrary, he was, he was born as a slave. He was born into oppression. But he was quickly adopted into privilege. He was, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter at three months of age. He, he grew up, therefore, as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He grew up as a prince of Egypt. But while he was raised as a prince of Egypt, he was also raised by his own mother. Remember, remember the, the story that, that Miriam was out there watching the basket, and as soon as the, the, the Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, she popped out from behind the bushes and said, Hey, would you like me to, to find someone to help you raise this child? And so when the princess sends Miriam to, to find someone, to, to find a nurse to assist her, she, of course, goes and gets Moses' own mother. And so Moses is, is raised as a prince of Egypt, but he is raised by his own Jewish mother. Think about the significance of that. Think about what that meant for, for Moses' life. It means that, yes, he grew up with, with privilege, but he grew up knowing his heritage. He grew up knowing that he was an Israelite. And likely, he grew up knowing who his parents thought he was. Remember last week, we, we said that when the scriptures tell us that Moses' parents saw his beauty, it does not mean simply that they, they thought he was a beautiful child the way almost all parents do. But rather, when it says that they saw his beauty, they, they, they meant that he was a sight for sore eyes, that, that he was the fulfillment of what God had promised, that he was the Redeemer that God was sending to lead them out of their oppression. Moses' parents believed that their son was the chosen one. And no doubt they taught Moses that this was his calling, that this was what he was born to do. 
And I am convinced that that self-knowledge was decisive in Moses' decision to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter when he was full grown. It is in light of what his mother had taught him as as a young child that he chose to leave Pharaoh's household and to be mistreated with the people of God. So Moses made that decision knowing who he was and knowing what it is that he had been called to do. Now, it is not hard for us to to see that decision as costly. It was a costly decision to identify with the Israelites rather than to continue living in Pharaoh's household. It it cut Moses off from all the the privileges and the, the pleasures of living in the king's house. And not only did it cut him off from the, the, the privileges and the, and the pleasures of the king's house, it actually subjected him to the suffering of a people held in slavery. But the question we have to ask is this, why does the author call the pleasures of living in Pharaoh's house the pleasures of sin? Why does he say that the pleasures of sin were fleeting? Why does he say that that Moses chose to to walk away from the pleasures of of sin? Let me first say that it was not because that the good things that Moses enjoyed as the son of Pharaoh's daughter were inherently sinful. The author is not suggesting to us that that pleasure in and of itself is sinful. Sinful. The the things that Moses enjoyed as the son of Pharaoh's daughter were not sinful just because they were good. There is nothing inherently sinful about having an abundance of material goods. We can do sinful things with an abundance of material goods. And and material goods can, can lead our heart into deeper sin. But there's nothing inherently sinful in in having good things. There's nothing inherently sinful about having good food to eat or about having nice clothes to wear. There's nothing inherently sinful about having access to to pleasurable recreations and a good education. And so we must not make the mistake of thinking that, that pleasure is the problem. We must not make the mistake of thinking that pleasure itself is inherently sinful. The pleasures of living in Pharaoh's house were not sinful just because they were pleasures. But if the pleasures of living in Pharaoh's house were not sinful just because they were pleasures, then why does the author call them the pleasures of sin? The answer to that question, I believe, is, is found in the implications of living as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Think about what it would have meant for Moses to live as a son in Pharaoh's house. First, if, if Moses would have continued living as a son in, in Pharaoh's house, it would have required him to pledge full and unconditional allegiance to Pharaoh and his kingdom. And among other things, that would have meant condoning the treatment of the Israelites. It would have meant condoning Moses or Pharaoh's policies. It would have meant condoning his, his practices. It would have meant signing on with, with the way that he ruled his empire, including the slavery 
of the Israelites. Moses could have only continued to live as a son of Pharaoh's daughter if he turned a blind eye to the injustice and oppression routinely carried out in Pharaoh's name. So the first thing we see is that Moses could not have continued living as a son of Pharaoh's daughter and loved his neighbor as himself. But it wasn't only love for neighbor that that was at risk with Moses continuing to live in Pharaoh's house. It was also his love for God, because not only would would Moses have had to pledge allegiance to Pharaoh's kingdom, he also would have had to pledge allegiance to Pharaoh's gods. If he was going to continue living in Pharaoh's household, he would have had to participate in the worship of Pharaoh's household. We've seen this throughout history. We've seen this in the way that Christians who refuse to participate in the worship that is common in the state are considered enemies of the state. Moses could not have continued living in Pharaoh's household if he was unwilling to worship Pharaoh's gods. And so therefore he could not have maintained his absolute and exclusive allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Israel, if he continued to be known as Pharaoh's son. And therefore, the pleasures of continuing to live as the son of Pharaoh's daughter for Moses were inseparably bound up with the sins of worshiping and serving false gods and of oppressing your neighbor. For Moses, these pleasures could not be separated from from breaking the two great commandments, the two commandments that Jesus himself said summed up the whole law. Moses could not love the Lord God with all his heart and love his neighbor as himself and at the same time continue to live as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so it was not that the pleasures were in themselves inherently sinful, but rather it was that Moses' access to those pleasures was inseparably bound up with sin. So we see then that the decision that Moses had to make when he was grown, the the decision that he faced was whether he would remain faithful to Yahweh, whether he would continue to to worship the one true and living God, the, the God of his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God whom he was taught about by his mother, whether he would worship Yahweh and be treated as a slave or pledge his loyalty to Pharaoh and his gods and continue to enjoy the the pleasures of his household. That's the decision. That's the choice that, that Moses faced. And he chose to give his allegiance to Yahweh. I want to suggest to you this morning that you will face much the same choice. Your allegiance to King Jesus will inevitably put you in a similar position. The choice we face may not be as obvious as the choice between Pharaoh's house and all of its pleasures, and the suffering of a people held in in slavery. It may not be quite that obvious, but it will be the same fundamental choice. 
Because in our present day, access to certain pleasures is inseparably bound up with certain sins. You can enjoy a higher standard of living if you refuse to give. If you refuse to, to give generously to, to the work of the church and the needs of the poor. I can remember playing golf with my dad and, and Sarah's dad when I was a, a kid. And, I, and we were playing at a course called Winstone down in Chattanooga. And, and the course was uh, being surrounded by houses that seemed to be in a never-ending building cycle. Every time we played, there was a new house on the course. And, and one time, my dad simply asked uh, Sarah's dad, he said, who could afford to live here? And Tom's reply to my father was, you can. If you just stop giving, take your tithe, take all the money that you give to, to charities, take all the money you give in support of missions, take all of that money and add it to your house payment, and you can afford to live here too. It was an eye-opening conversation. I wasn't actually a part of it. I was just listening in. But it, it was a reminder that giving and giving generously affects our standard of living. You can live at a higher level if you simply don't give or don't give generously. Not only can you live at a different level, but you can enjoy greater societal privileges if, if you protect your own standing rather than standing with the marginalized and the oppressed. You can more freely indulge your appetites if, if you allow the world to define your morality rather than standing with the Word of God. You can enjoy a better reputation among your peers if you will simply accept their wisdom rather than the wisdom of God. Again and again and again in our modern culture, certain pleasures are inseparably bound up with certain sins. So think about your own situation. Where is it costing you pleasure? Where is it costing you privilege to identify with the people of God? Where is loving your neighbor making your life harder rather than easier? Where is it leading you away from pleasure instead of into it? Or maybe, where are you compromising your identity? as a child of God, in the pursuit of pleasure and position? Do you ever shade the truth to protect or enhance your reputation? Whether that be you students in school, or that be those in the, the workplace, or even just among your friends? Do you ever ignore injustice and oppression because it would just be too risky too costly for you to address it? Do you ever refuse to, to give in order to perfect your, your standard of living? Have you allowed your, your sexual ethic or your consumer ethic to be defined by your desires rather than God's Word? These are hard questions. These, these are questions that, that hit close to home, but they are real questions, and they are questions that we must face squarely, that we must face honestly, for like Moses... 
We face a decision. We must decide whether we will identify as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a time, or whether we will identify as a child of God and be mistreated as a slave. And because we must face that question, because that is a question that that each and every one of us will be forced to answer, we must know how to face it. So let's look again at Moses and and see what was it that made him able to make such a hard choice. Well, at this point in the chapter, you're not going to be surprised that the author says that it was by faith. It was by faith that that Moses refused to be called the son of of Pharaoh's daughter, just as it was by faith that that Abel was offered to offer a better sacrifice, just as it was by faith that Enoch walked with God, just as it was by faith that Noah built the ark, just as it was by faith that that Abraham uh, believed God and was, was counted to him as righteousness again and again and again throughout this chapter. It has been by faith. But what exactly was the content of of Moses' faith? What is it that he knew and believed that that enabled him to renounce the pleasures of Pharaoh's house? I believe we have two clues in the text. And the first clue is that word we were talking about earlier, that that word fleeting. What does the author mean when he he says that the pleasures of, of Pharaoh's house were fleeting? As I said, we often think of the pleasures of sin as as fleeting because the the pleasures of of sin often turn to misery very quickly in our lives. Sin is something like Taco Bell. You you may enjoy eating it, but 30 minutes later you're going to regret it. (laughs) But that's not exactly what the author has in mind here. Because think about Moses' situation. He may not have found deep satisfaction in the pleasures of Pharaoh's house, but in all likelihood, he could have continued enjoying those pleasures for the rest of his life. The pleasures themselves would not have gone away. They they may have been ultimately unsatisfying, but they would not have disappeared. So what does the author mean when when he says that they were fleeting? Well, that word fleeting is a a word that is often used in in this time period to to describe things that are temporal, and therefore things that are finite, things that do not last. And that's what the author is is getting at. The, The pleasures of Pharaoh's house were merely temporal pleasures. They may have lasted a lifetime, but they would not last more than a lifetime. And Moses wanted something more than the temporal pleasures of this life. He wanted something more than what Jesus calls the treasures of earth that can be destroyed by moth and rust, that can be stolen by thieves. He wanted something more, something deeper, something more lasting than Pharaoh's house could provide. He wanted the reward. That's what the text says. That's our our second clue. He was looking to his reward. And that's a word that the author has used previously. He he has spoken before about this reward. It is the reward that that he wants the Hebrews themselves to whom he's writing. He wants them to, to cling to Jesus that they might receive it. So what is this reward? What is this reward that comes to to clinging to to Jesus? Well, it's a reward that he has talked about. It is is the reward of all that was promised. 
All that was first promised to Abraham. And what is it that was promised to Abraham? Not simply an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one, an eternal city, an eternal kingdom, the the indestructible kingdom of God that God will establish on earth as it is in heaven and in which he will give all of his beloved an inheritance. Moses knew that the earthly kingdom was merely a symbol, merely a token, merely a foreshadow of all that God had promised to do. He knew that God intended to establish an eternal kingdom on earth. By faith, he knew these things. And by faith, he said, a future inheritance in that kingdom is a greater reward than anything that Pharaoh can offer. And therefore, the reproach of Christ was in his mind greater treasure than all the treasures of Egypt. It's not that being reproached is a good thing, but being reproached as a Christian is far greater treasure because it comes with the name Christian. To be mistreated now as a Christian is far greater reward because it means that you have an inheritance kept in heaven for you by the very power of God, an inheritance that Peter says is indestructible, undefiled, and unfading in glory. That is the reward to which Moses looked. And because Moses knew that reward was promised to those who identified with the people of God because he knew that inheritance belonged to them, he considered it far greater to identify as a slave with the people of God than to be called a son in Pharaoh's house. Because whatever treasures, whatever pleasures Pharaoh had to offer, they were temporal. They were fleeting. They would not last into eternity. And Moses wanted something more. As the psalmist says, better to be a servant in the house of God than to be a prince elsewhere. That's what Moses knew. That's what Moses believed. The the faith that frees us to identify as a child of God in the face of of hardship, in the face of mistreatment, in the face of being cut off from the desires of our heart in the present. The faith that, that knows the best that this world to offer The best this world has to offer is is merely temporal, merely fleeting. It cannot compare with the simplest pleasures of the kingdom to come. So the faith that we need to make the choice that Moses made is a faith that says boldly, nothing you can offer me can come close to the value of my identity as a child of God. Because it is as his child that I am a secure and guaranteed heir of the coming indestructible kingdom. It is with such faith, with with that faith, that Moses chose no longer to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And it is with that faith that we will make the same choice in our present circumstances. We can choose to be mistreated with the people of God. We can choose to, to live as servants and even sometimes slaves in the present. Because we know the eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for us by our Heavenly Father. So how do you develop such faith? How do you develop faith 
that, that calls it greater treasure to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the best that this world has to offer. I want to suggest to you that we develop such faith and we nurture such faith by doing exactly what Moses did, by looking to our reward. We're sometimes squeamish about this idea. We're, we're sometimes hesitant to, to talk too much about the reward, about the, the blessings. We, we think that it might make us selfish or that it might make us, make us greedy. But Jesus himself says, think about the reward. If you want to save your life, do this, he says. If you want true, lasting treasure, do this. Jesus is always talking about the treasure. He's always talking about the reward. As Lewis so famously said, it is not that he finds our desires too strong, but far too weak. We are far too easily satisfied with the fleeting pleasures and treasures of this world when he offers to us solid and eternal joys. And he says, think about those solid and eternal joys. Set your mind on what has been offered to you so that you will not be distracted, so that you will not be lured and enticed by the paltry pleasures that this world has to offer. Set your mind on what is yours in Christ. Set your mind on things above where Christ is, Paul says in Colossians 3. Because if we spend all of our time thinking about the treasures and the pleasures of this life, we will inevitably shape our life by them. If we think all, spend all our time thinking about the, the things that we want here and now, then we will organize our life to get them. But if we look to our reward, then the pleasures and the treasures of this life will lose their power to control us. It's not that we will no longer enjoy them. It's no longer that we will give thanks to them when, when God graciously gives them to us. There is no virtue in, in renouncing pleasure for its own sake. Paul says such, such harsh treatment of the body has the appearance of wisdom, but it actually lacks all spiritual power. But the same Paul also says, or I do not voluntarily choose to, to be without just for the sake of being without. When I am without for the sake of Christ, I can be content. For I know the secret of joy in plenty and in want. And that secret is this, for me to live is Christ. And it is far greater treasure to be in him than to be in any king's house here and now. That is what we must believe. That is what we must set our minds on. And how do we do that? How do we, how do we set our minds on the reward? How do we look to the reward that is ours in Christ? It's something that we do intentionally. It's something that we do actively. It doesn't just happen. If you let your mind just drift, if you, if you keep your mind in neutral, it will be focused upon the treasures and the pleasures that your eyes can see, that your hands can touch, that your mouth can taste. It will be diverted by the pleasures and the treasures of this life. But we must take the, the time to intentionally set our minds on the reward. It's what you're doing even now. It's what you do when you, you gather for worship. This service is designed to set your mind on things above. This service is designed to remind you of, of what is yours in Christ. When we gather together, we gather together for the very purpose of, of remembering who God is, who He is for us in Christ, and all that He has secured for us by His life, death, and resurrection. 
all that will be ours when he returns again to judge the living and the dead at the end of, of history. We, we set our minds on it as we gather for worship. It's why the, the author tells the Hebrews not to neglect gathering together. He knows that they need this. He knows that they need to be reminded of the truth. They, know, they need to remember again the, the wonder of the reward that is theirs in Christ. But it's not only when we gather. We must also do this ourselves daily. We must daily choose, Jesus says, to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him, knowing that the one who loses his life to follow him will save it. The one who loses his life will find true life indeed. For what does Jesus say? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world, if you gain all the pleasures and treasures that Egypt has to offer, but lose your soul? What profit is there in that? For those treasures, those pleasures, they are fleeting, easily destroyed, easily taken away. But what I have for you is eternal. What I have for you is indestructible. What I have for you is unfading in glory. Set your mind there and live like one who sees the joy that has been set before him. The author of Hebrews will go on to say that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He walked the road that was set before him. He obeyed his Father even to the point of death. Death on a cross. And because he did, Paul tells us in Philippians, he was highly exalted and given the name above every name where he now sits at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies, ruling over all of creation. And if we will follow in his footsteps, if we will share his faith, if we, for the joy set before us, will obey our Father, will walk in faithfulness, the, the bodily expression of faith, then we too will be raised up, and we too will be given an inheritance, and we too will reign with Christ for all eternity. That is what is promised to us. And because that is what is promised to us, we can now endure whatever the path set before us holds. Because we know that there is no fleeting and momentary suffering in this life that can ultimately separate us from God's purpose for our good. God will work all things together for the good of those who love him. He will give life to those who lose it for his name's sake. He will give an inheritance to those who, who choose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but to be mistreated with his people, even as slaves here and now. And because such a reward is ours, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness to us. We rejoice in knowing that you are the God who gives rewards to your people. Father, may we set our minds on the reward that is ours and may we with faith walk the path that you have set before us, not being lured and enticed by the, the pleasures and treasures of this life, but rather resolve to walk in faithfulness even to the point of death, that we might in the end receive the indestructible, undefiled, unfading inheritance that is ours in Jesus Christ. Give us such faith, we pray, and give us the will to walk in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.